Today's podcast is brought to you by the Prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, now nominated for 14 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for Rachel Brosnahan's performance as Midge Maisel. Consider it marvelous in all categories. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, fans, and Kristen's senior prom date. I am Henry Goldblatt, Editor-in-Chief of Entertainment Weekly, and I'm here with Kristen Baldwin. I'm pretty sure... Actually, I don't even know if I went to my senior prom. In which case, then let me rephrase it. It's the podcast for Emmy fans, voters, and Lynette's senior prom date. And that's Lynette Rice, TV editor-at-large at Entertainment Weekly. His name was Steve Allen, not to be confused with the celebrity. I went to five proms. I was like the most non-threatening parents' favorite prom date ever. And I think about all the women out there now who have to say, oh, my prom date was gay. That's that's a whole lot of women who have to say that. I know. <laughs> that's a whole lot of renting, too. All that renting of tuxes. Oh, there was a lot of renting of tuxes. And I had to make sure that the bowtie and cummerbund matched her dress. And so I had some, one year I had red, another year I had like, a dusty lavender, and that's when they had to know I was gay because I was, like, asking for a dusty lavender bow tie and cummerbund. <laughs> you know what? I feel like that would be a good cottage industry, like, tux rental for gay prom dates. That <laughs> would be. Also, dusty lavender would be a terrific name for a drag queen, which is very apropos for this episode of Chasing Emmy because we're going to be talking about the best reality shows and the best talk shows and variety shows. Kristen, I'm going to turn the floor over to you because The Bachelor nor Chris Harrison has never been nominated in any reality category, and I want you to give your screed. I truly am flummoxed by the fact that The Bachelor in 27,000 seasons and The Bachelorette in its 14 seasons has never been nominated for anything. Nothing. Not host, not best show, not directing, nothing. And I really think it's down to straight up snobbery. The show is certainly more popular and mainstream than it has ever been. It's just, you know, it's very much part of the zeitgeist. And yet the voters cannot bring themselves to nominate it. And I think because, you know, it's a little sleazy and it's very cheesy and it's maybe a hate crime against women slash men. Like, sure. But... It's also beautifully well done, totally original. Many have tried to imitate, all have failed. And I just think that the Emmy voters need to get over themselves and just make the most dramatic nomination ever. Yeah, but would you make that same passionate plea for Big Brother? That's interesting. You know what? I would. Bachelor deserves it first because they've been on for so long. But, you know, Big Brother also, the one strike against it is that it's not completely original. But we do love the Chenbot, and the fact that she hasn't been nominated is a crime. Take us through the current nominees, Lynette. All right, so the nominees for Best Reality Show Competition this year. Amazing Race, American Ninja Warrior, Project Runway, RuPaul's Drag Race, Top Chef, And The Voice. And uh, we should remind everyone that The Voice has won the past three years. Um, Kristen, I'm going to add to your point that I went through this and not a single dating show has ever been nominated in this category. So it's not just The Bachelor. Well, The Bachelor is the only dating show that matters. Amazing Race has been nominated all 16 times since this category came into creation. And it once, I think it won like 12 times or something like that. I, for a while, like the Emmy voters couldn't see anything beyond The Amazing Race because it's always been the quote unquote classy a reality show because it's kind of like a TV log. But then The Voice has broken through the past few years. Lynette, who do you think should win in this category this year? 
Amazing Race. Do you still watch? I still watch. I do too. It's a fine show. And it's so well made. And it's a gorgeous, it's it's basically a travel show. It should be on Discovery. It's a travel show that includes some games. And so that alone, and the way that they shoot it, it's beautiful. It's beautifully done. So, yes, Amazing Race should win. Because I'm just not, i also just not a, a huge fan of some of these other shows, too. Kristen, how about you? I have to go with RuPaul's Drag Race simply because runway i used to love i no longer you know it kind of lost its appeal for me after many 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 seasons but like rupaul's drag race is very unique and so well done and really part of the pop culture conversation and they love the show obviously they've awarded as we'll talk later they've given the host an emmy or two so i think why not give the whole show recognition it deserves i Agree with you, Kristen. I I thought this season of Top Chef actually was pretty terrific. And talk about shows that are beautifully shot. I think that they do a great, great job with that. But ultimately, I think my should win and my will win will be RuPaul's Drag Race. I think it's become such a part of the cultural conversation and transcended what was a very niche show into something a lot more mainstream. And a lot of people are watching it. A younger generation's watching it. I think it's going to win as well. Lynette, who is your will win? I think when you talk about the pop culture conversation, I think it's just us talking about it. I don't know if it's necessarily really cracking the zeitgeist. That said, um, I do believe, simply because there's got to be exhaustion with some of these other nominees. Um, I like what they're doing. And so, yes, RuPaul will win. Yeah, I'm going to go with RuPaul as well, simply because, you know, The Voice, still a hit show, still successful in what it does, but I would imagine even the voters are getting a little tired of voting for it. And if they're looking at this this crop of nominees, you know, probably the only one that looks remotely exciting besides RuPaul is Ninja Warrior. And I just don't think they're going to give it to something called Ninja Warrior. I think I'm going to go with RuPaul's Drag Race. Well, speaking of hosts, um, Chris Harrison was indeed snubbed for Outstanding Host of a Reality or Reality Competition Program. This was an award that was started in 2008 and has been won by Jeff Probst four times. And and RuPaul and Jane Lynch have each won twice. Kristen, who are this year's nominees? This year's nominees, W. Camus Bell, United States of America, with W. Camus Bell. RuPaul for RuPaul's Drag Race. Ellen DeGeneres for Ellen's Game of Games. Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn for Project Runway. And Jane Lynch for Hollywood Game Night. And this is, of course, her second nomination this year because she's also nominated as a guest actress in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Lynette, who do you think should win this category? You know, I feel like I want to argue a little bit about Harrison getting a nomination. I mean, I mean, he, <laughs> I mean, does he really deserve a trophy for repeating? This is a very special rose ceremony. I mean, it, it, at least with Probst, I know he has the same dialogue. Survivor's ready. Are you, you, know, you, you, you want to see what you're playing for? I mean, I realize he says that every time, but What's been extraordinary about Probst is you've seen his growth over the years uh, with the show in terms of just narrating. You know there's no script. He just narrates through the whole thing just off the cuff, and it's just it's brilliant. Whereas it does still feel like Harrison follows a very specific Bachelor script each time. Oh, you must be feeling so emotional right now. You know, Don't even. Don't even go there. What are you about to say? All he does is say final rose tonight. Kristen, you literally don't talk about your son or your husband this much. 
That is spoken like somebody who has not watched the show. Because, listen, Chris Harrison is in there. He is navigating the rough waters of love uh, and dealing with The Bachelor or Bachelorette as they are having their meltdowns. And he deserves an Emmy this season alone for keeping a straight face when Colton came to him before the rose ceremony and asked him what happens in the fantasy suite. And he answered without cracking up. That is amazing. He is honestly the glue when there was one episode of The Bachelor once, or it was The Bachelorette, where he didn't show up at the rose ceremony. It was in Jillian's season. And Bachelor Nation was apoplectic. We do not like to be left alone without Chris Harrison. So he is really key to that show's success. You know, I don't have a horse in this race, but Lynette, you're the one who's saying that I agree with you that I think Jeff Probst is a terrific host. I can't believe he wasn't nominated this year. But you want Julie Chen, who we all adore, to be nominated because she says, but first. Uh, yes, only because I, I wouldn't have nominated her in the first five seasons, but now she's great at it. And, you know, she, one of the main reasons they wanted somebody like her to do the show was because they want somebody experienced with live TV. And she has settled so nicely into it that, yes, I know she has a, some scripts of questions she follows when they, you know, the Vic D's come out. But she's quick on her feet, especially when those yahoos are in the diary room calling her out for her beauty. And she's like, yeah, yeah, move on. Give me your damn vote. That girl's got it going on. Who should win in this category, given that Julie Chen and Chris Harrison are not nominated? RuPaul. Uh, definitely the, the most unique show. The other ones, I mean, they're game shows. I, I, I feel like they could, that's just one of several jobs that they're fulfilling, especially with Jane Lynch and Ellen DeGeneres. This is like their side gigs, you know. Uh, RuPaul, I mean, he is this show. Uh, he deserves it. Kristen, how about you? Who do you think should win? And my should and will is also RuPaul. I think because Heidi and Tim, I believe, have won. And whenever RuPaul is in a category, I just don't feel like there's a chance for anyone else because he's so entertaining and such a unique character. So I think it's got to go to him. I don't even really think that Ellen's Game of Games is like, I'm surprised it qualified for an Emmy. It seems like it didn't even have enough episodes. I don't know. So I just, I think, I think it's got to go RuPaul. Yeah, I'm with the two of you. I think RuPaul is the most unique and interesting host of the bunch. And when you talk about RuPaul's Drag Race, couldn't be RuPaul's Drag Race without RuPaul. He's irreplaceable. And so I hope he will win in this category. All right. So the next category we're talking about is the Award for Outstanding Structured Reality Program. So in 2014, they split up the reality categories between structured and competition. So structured is very much like it follows a formula from episode to episode. And Kristen, who are the nominees um, in this category? So this year, the nominees are Antique Roadshow, Fixer Upper, Lip Sync Battle, Queer Eye, Shark Tank, and Who Do You Think You Are? Lynette, do you have a should win in this category? Yes, Queer Eye. I I thought that obviously the reboot has is, is been... So great to watch and so emotional to watch. I've gotten really choked up. I never got choked up from the original one. You just kind of giggled along with that one. This one is a very meaningful reboot, and I I dig it. This is a nice category. I think we should remind folks that this doesn't always air in the primetime show. um, This is one that they can 
rotate in and out. I think I'd rather, I mean, I, I mean, do we want to see this category in the primetime show? Probably not. I agree with you. I My should win is Queer Eye. For all the reasons you say, it was incredibly touching and sweet. If someone had come to me a year and a half ago and said, do you want a Queer Eye reboot? I would have said absolutely not. Like, the world doesn't need this show again. But they carved a niche and proved that they're worthy of being on the air. I think it's great. Kristen, you? I totally agree. I mean, Shark Tank has won the last uh, four years, uh, and Shark Tank's a great show, but I think Queer Eye is it's time for something new, and that is certainly the most sort of beloved show, I think, in this category. I have a controversial will win. I'm not sure Queer Eye is going to pu- uh, pull it out ultimately. What is your will? I think Fixer Upper may end up fixing up this category. You just convinced me. I think that they, they will win. Kristen? I'm going to will Queer Eye to win, will and should, simply because I think you're right that Fixer Upper could be a dark horse, but I just feel like Queer Eye is more, it's more probable that the voters have watched an episode of Queer Eye than Fixer Upper, but who knows? We will see. Up next, we're going to be talking about some of the talk show and variety show categories, so stay tuned for that. Today's podcast is brought to you by the prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino. It stars Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, and Tony Shalhoub, winner of two Golden Globes, and now nominated for 14 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for Rachel Brosnahan's performance as Midge Maisel. Open your heart to the show Entertainment Weekly calls a perfectly cast delight. Consider it marvelous in all categories, including outstanding comedy series. Welcome back to Chasing Emmy, the podcast for Emmy voters, Emmy fans. And how about Kristen Baldwin's junior prom date? Did you go to the junior prom, Kristen? I did, and his name was Chris Nielsen. Gay? Not that I know of. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Lynette, who was your junior prom date? I didn't go to the prom. You only, really, only the super pretty girls went to the prom You're, every what year. What are you talking about? You're super pretty. Please, I was in drama and in choir. Wait, you were in choir? I didn't know that. Can I you was, sing? No. And I was the lead in my musical, too. I played Ado Annie in Oklahoma. You did? Yes, I was the girl who can't see no. At any rate, we're talking about some of the talk show and variety show categories. And first one we're going to tackle is Outstanding Variety Talk Series. This is the newest incarnation of this category. It was created in 2010. In 2015, this category was split in two between Outstanding Variety Sketch and Outstanding Variety Talk. I wanted to like revisit a little bit of history of this category because it's so interesting to me and it makes sense why they split these categories up because... Let me take you through the 1991 nominees for Outstanding Variety Series and how do you even begin to compare them? It was the 63rd Annual Academy Awards, In Living Color, Late Night with David Letterman, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, the Kennedy Center Honors, and the Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson. Who do you think won that category? I'm going with Johnny Carson. I got to go with Muppets. You're both wrong. The 63rd Annual Academy Awards won that category because there's nothing award shows like better than to honor other award shows. I think the way they've structured these categories makes a lot more sense that we have talk shows competing against talk shows and variety shows competing against variety shows now. Kristen, who are the nominees this year for Best Talk Show? The Day Show with Trevor Noah, Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, The Late Late Show with James Corden, and The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And we should mention later on in this podcast, Lynette's going to be talking to the executive producers of Late Show with James Corden, so you want to stay tuned for that. I was super surprised. Like, of all the Emmy snubs, the one that got me the most, actually, that was that Seth Meyers wasn't nominated in this category. I just couldn't believe it. I think he's doing terrific work. 
It really was a surprise. Closer look segments have been incredible. The the jokes, Seth can't tell segments where he brings the female writers out to tell jokes that are definitely a white man cannot tell himself are amazing. So it was really a shock that he didn't get nominated. Lynette, who should win in this category? I think Colbert should win. The trajectory of that show from where it started to where it is now, it's so relevant uh, now. Uh, and he's done an extraordinary job of not only, I mean, it's it's an extension of his old comedy central show, too, in that, you know, that people end up using it as a form of, like, their news feed. And he addresses the headlines, and he makes them funny so we don't cry privately. Um, I, th- just, I just think he's done an extraordinary job. Kristen, who is your should win? My should win is Full Frontal with Samantha B. I mean, I know uh, her show is obviously the youngest show in this group, but she's done some incredibly important, but also really funny and very smart comedy. And it would be nice to see a woman win in this category since it's been a fully male-dominated category for about a thousand years. God, the three of us disagree on this one completely. My should win is Jimmy Kimmel Live. He was pulled into politics almost accidentally with what went on, the horrible stuff that went happened with his newborn son. That was some of the most poignant and memorable television all year. And the way he just took up the healthcare mantle and became more politically active, it was really, really interesting and touching and amazing to watch. He's my late night choice. I think he does amazing work and I'd like to see him win. It would be so nice if just this one year, every one of them got an Emmy, because they all did such incredible work this season. Given that's not going to happen, <laughs> who do you think, who will win? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live. I think uh, you, you're right about those episodes that got really personal with his son, just barn on just great television. It still ultimately harkened back to the Trump administration and the choices they're making in terms of policy, but that just got really personal and took us someplace that we weren't accustomed to with Jimmy Kimmel Live. Kristen, who do you think will win? Well, the last two years, uh, last week tonight with John Oliver has won, and the last 7,000 years before that, it was The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. So I do think this year it's going to be John Oliver, and I do think that the Academy in general likes to go with a show that has a news and topical relevance. And while Jimmy Kimmel Live absolutely did, it wasn't fully news-focused, and I think it's going to be hard for him to break through when this is basically a late-night news satire award. I agree with you completely, Kristen. I think John Oliver is going to win as well. And do you know what all those shows have in common? John Oliver and Daily Show with Jon Stewart? They all were either written or executive produced or head writer um, by EW alum Tim Carvel. Love Tim. Tim is the best. Tim has more Emmys than almost anyone I know. We knew him when. So anyway, I hope Tim gets an Emmy for um, last week tonight with John Oliver. I agree with you, Kristen. I think it's going to win. All right. The final category we're taking on is Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. Lynette, who is nominated this year? At Home with Amy Sedaris, season one. Drunk History, season five. Wow. I Love You, America, season one. That's a Hulu show. Uh, Portlandia, season eight. Saturday Night Live, season 43, and Tracy Ullman's show, only season two. Last year's winner was SNL. Let me phrase it this way. Do any of us think will or should win will be anything besides SNL? No. I mean, I, I can't even, I, I, should, do I say drunk history should win over SNL? I don't even think I can say that. 
all these shows, you know, Drunk History has been, this is its fourth nomination. Uh, Portlandia has been nominated four times. Tracy Ullman's second time. I think for those shows, the nomination is the award. And SNL, this was a very strong season. And I think it's really going to be hard to beat. I completely agree. I liked Portlandia in its early seasons. I sort of I broke up with it a couple seasons ago and don't particularly miss it. Um, SNL, as you say, had a terrific season. I think they will and should win. Up next, we've got Lynette's conversations with the executive producers of The Late Late Show with James Corden, so stay tuned for that. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Very happy to be here. Thank yes, you for having us on. Let me start with your most immediate and most wonderful get, having James jump out of the plane with Tom Cruise to promote Mission Impossible. How long was that in the works, and did you really have to talk James into doing it? Because, man, he looks super scared. Well, it, it was. It actually wasn't in the works. James um, James had Tom on the show on the Tuesday night, and they had, they wanted to do something big to launch Mission Impossible. We have a great relationship with with Tom. We've done some really fun things with him in the past. We recreated his entire movie career in five minutes. We did a huge sketch on the River Thames when uh, James created a new business called Tom's Cruise. And uh, the two of them took passengers around in a themed cruise around the Thames. So we've had some fun with him before. And there was a plan to do something on the Thursday to promote Mission Impossible. But when he came on the show on the Tuesday night, he sort of started mocking Tom for doing all his own stunts. And Tom started saying, well, you couldn't do your own stunts. And, you know, they started one-upping each other. And Tom said, well, why don't you jump out on a, of a plane with me? And so within 48 hours, somehow without knowing what quite happened, James was um, up in the air, suspended for, what was it, 15,000 feet above uh, California and, and having to jump out of a plane with Tom Cruise. So it was one of those sort of pinch me moments making a show like this is that, you know, something happens on the show very naturally. And then before you know it, uh, we're making it. But uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing to do. And Tom Cruise, I think, is just the most impressive man in the history of time. The idea that he just puts on his jeans and T-shirts at five in the morning and just jumps out of a plane for fun is uh, pretty impressive. That's crazy that you pulled you pulled it together that quickly because you also obviously had a photographer shooting on the way down and great shots by the way. Thanks. Yeah, we have a brilliant team here. We um they work incredibly hard and um they're hugely ambitious about what we want the show to be. You know, it, it comes back to sort of Rob and I's sort of theory about our show. Really, we never ever want to just be making a talk show because I think that there are enough of those and they're all really great. So when we came to LA and we sort of sat with James and, and Rob and me and we all sat around, we said, what do we want this show to be? We wanted it to be a real entertaining variety show. We wanted every night our viewers to tune in and not know what they were going to get. And when there's a night where we've just ended up, you know, doing a bit of desk comedy and chatting to a few guests and having a few nice interviews, the truth of it is we all sort of go home a little bit disappointed because it's a waste of the talent that James is. We have a guy who can act, he can sing, he can dance, he can do it all. And so therefore what we want in a week is we want Tom Cruise jumping out of a plane in a stunt. We want James Corden dressing up as Robert Mueller doing a musical number. We want a carpool karaoke with Paul McCartney. We want to recreate the entire film career of Julia Roberts. We want every night to be doing a really huge variety show. And the team that we have making this show, from the art team to the director to, to, to the researchers, all the way through the team that we've put together, they have that same desire. They have that same dream that every night we put on a variety show. And, uh, and it's a lot of work uh, and it's a lot of patience and, 
and, and graft, but it's worth it because we there's nothing satisfies us more than when we pull off ambitious things like that Tom Cruise jump. Can you talk about the show's trajectory since its relaunch in 2015? What have you learned about what works in late night and what are you doing now that maybe you weren't doing then? Well, we weren't around for the uh, last version of the show with Craig Ferguson, so we came on fresh as a new team to start this one. And then I think what any of these shows are trying to do is uh, play to the strengths of your host. And what we have in James is a guy who, as Ben mentioned, he sings, he dances, he's an incredibly good actor. And so the two things that James Corden had never done when he took over a late-night show was stand on a mark and deliver a monologue joke or interview guests. And those are two of the major hallmarks of late-night television. And those are the parts he had to learn, but he's an incredible quick study. And so we realized once he started doing it and got out there and delivering a monologue that that wasn't going to be a problem. And then we just wanted to lean into all of his other talents, which is why we approach it as a variety show. And I think that this show is significantly different than the way Craig Ferguson did his show, and his show was great, and he was was incredibly good at these sort of long-form interviews, uh, whereas we just try and do a bunch of different stuff every night. There will always be a monologue. We'll always touch on politics almost every night, but then we'll shift into something sillier or something more ambitious with the production design and with James playing a role, and then we'll uh, have the interviews as well. We try and do a little bit of everything. Yeah, so Corden wisely jumped into the fray and and told his own Trump jokes, which, of course, made him all the more relevant. But did you go back and forth on whether you wanted him to play in that sandbox? There was never really much back and forth. I think think the way we do it is... We talk about whatever, whatever is in the news. We do a five-minute monologue that, that starts the show. And I think that if you're going to talk about what's in the news, it's very, very hard to avoid politics right now because... It fills up so much news, there's very little space for anything else. We relish nights where the Oscars has just been on or there's been a Grammys or there's you know, been the Olympics or there's been a World Cup so that we can talk about other things. But ultimately, Trump and politics dominate so much of people's thoughts and minds. And, and therefore, we're also aware that you know, we're coming off the back of Stephen and that's a very politics-driven show. So I think we'd be remiss to ignore what's going on. I guess what we try and do is we try and do Trump stuff in our own way. So like this Thursday, as an example, we're doing a Robert Mueller, the musical. When, uh, when Tim Minchin was on, who is the creator and writer of Matilda, the musical, they, uh, there's a very famous Matilda song, which is uh, What Will I Be When I Grow Up? I've, I've, I've got the name of that song wrong, Rob, haven't I? When I Grow Up. When I Grow Up. It's a really beautiful song where Matilda sits there swinging on, the, on, uh, on a swing saying, you know, when I grow up, and she fantasizes about who she's going to be. So we look at that and we go, well, Tim Minchin's on the show. He wrote that song. He's a really funny guy. So he dresses up as Trump as a little nine-year-old. James dresses up as Steve Bannon. We get, a Ke- we get Kellyanne Conway and Ben Platt plays. Um, who did Ben Platt play? Uh, I think it was it was Sean Spicer. That's who he played. So you know, and they and then we rework the lyrics for when I grow up, and uh, and they are sort of talking about the, the people they want to be, and it's a it's a really beautiful bit, and that's sort of I guess our way of doing Trump. It doesn't always necessarily need to be musical, of course it doesn't, but 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 we like to try and do things in a slightly different way. But I think as for whether there's a back and forth about whether we talk about him. I think we would look like we were deaf if we weren't talking about what everyone else in America seems to be talking about today. I want to also ask you about the crosswalk musicals and more importantly, how you pull them off. Do you have to get permits in advance and how do you choose the crosswalks? And have you ever had to abort one like mid-musical? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of aborting it with musical. We have never uh, had to skip out on one. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that's most surprising to the talent as we've started to feature uh, different actors in them is that how loose it is and the fact that it is on an active crosswalk in an active street. We don't get, we don't block anything. Those aren't picture cars. Those are people trying to make their way down Beverly Boulevard. And we use the exact timing of that crosswalk uh, to run out there and perform. I remember when Josh Gad got here, he had he'd watched every crosswalk. He was a fan. He watched them all with his wife. And then he pulled us aside. He couldn't believe that it wasn't a lock set. He had always thought that we had just it was faked. faked it and set it up. And he couldn't believe he was actually going to be running out there into the street. One of the lovely things about the Television Academy this year is they nominated um, Chloe Arnold, who is our choreographer, uh, because actually so much work goes into the choreography of that. Because, of course, if you think about it, you're trying to do an entire musical, but you've only got 30 seconds for each song because they're only allowed to be out there for the time that the green man is green. And then as soon as, it, as, soon as the lights go green and it goes to the red man, they have to run off. So Chloe coordinates this really beautiful choreography every time with our cast and, and James and what have you. And, I, and, and it obviously... The, the stage is only as big as the crosswalk is, so it's quite fun watching her try and uh, try and make Crosswalk the Musical uh, work so beautifully, and it's it's fantastic that she's nominated for Best Choreography because I think that's just such fun that that's been recognised in that way. Has any stick in the mud ever complained about this around the corner, any of the businesses? The drivers are never held up because we never go longer than the 30 seconds out there because then it wouldn't be safe. So I think... You know, rather than, you know, listening to the radio or checking their phones or doing what other people do at a stoplight, instead they get to see a performance yeah. uh, by Alice and Janney as in The Sound of Music. You know, what could be better than that when you're stuck at a stoplight in traffic? And when they are, if anybody's ever a little bit frustrated, we love those reactions on camera. Yeah, that does make us laugh when people are like, what the hell is going on? Our favorite, see, the Crosswalk the Musical has become more famous, so now... When people see it, they know what's going on, so they're quite excited that, that they happen to get lucky and they're at a crosswalk during a crosswalk musical. Whereas when we first started doing it, the expressions we would get, they would be just dumbfounded of what the hell was going on in this crosswalk. And th those expressions always made us laugh a little bit more. Oh, my gosh. Is it at Fairfax and Beverly? Uh, Beverly and Genesee. Yeah, although I have to say Crosswalk the Musical, it's on a world tour. We did, yeah, we uh, did London. We did London, right by the old Bailey in the Strand, in the cent in the heart of London. We did that twice. We did uh, Broadway. We did Greatest Show. Uh, what was what Greatest was it? Showman with Hugh Jackman. Yeah, Zach Efron and Zendaya. We did that in New York, uh, and then we and then our regular is just outside our own studio, which is uh, Genesee and Beverly Crosswalk. That's the original home of Crosswalk the Musical, but we like to take it on the, the road. beautiful 76 gas station in the back. <laughs> it was very exciting doing it in London this year. That was really great fun to sort of take it on the road. Who's the genius who gets who gets credit for coming up with that? Ian Carmel. Yeah. Uh, our, our co-head writer. Uh, it was his idea very early on in the show. It was before we actually launched the show three and a half years ago. We were sat around, and I, re I really remember where I was. I was walking back with him. Uh, he had gone to get a co we'd gone to get a coffee. It was about three weeks before we launched, and we were walking down the road. And I remember him saying, "You know what we should do? James loves musicals. We could do this whole thing about how he's upset. He's no longer got time to do the theatre, so he does a musical in the crosswalk over there." And we literally looked at the crosswalk, and I just was so excited by that idea. We just loved it, and uh, yeah, I really remember. It's one of those moments where um, same with Carpool. I remember when we first came up with that. It's like you have those moments where somebody comes up or says something and everybody just immediately goes, that's it, brilliant, we've got it. And, and here we are three and a half years later and, uh, and Crosswalk's become a real thing. Yeah, we have Lynn.
Emmanuel Miranda calling and asking to do it. Yeah, it's really funny. That's so neat. Yeah, it's like the C's part. Yeah, that the Broadway one, by the way, that's the one that I watch the most. I don't know why, but that one I'm particularly obsessed about. What when they, especially when they sing one more, one more day. Oh my God, I love it. I just love it. Speaking of that, I just have to ask you about the Paul McCartney one. As you were shooting, did you realize that? Oh my God, you've got TV gold here. That you needed more time for something bigger. We traveled to Liverpool. We had around four hours with him. We literally flew in that day and flew out that night from LA to Liverpool. So it was a long way to go, but we were excited that we'd finally got it and Paul had agreed to do it because we'd been trying for quite some time to find a date and convince Paul that it was a great idea. And it was an amazing shoot. It was an amazing shoot for various reasons. It was an amazing shoot because firstly, there were some really funny bits in it, which is always great. And, and But that goes without saying, James is always going to find comedy. Second of all, hearing Paul sing those Beatles songs was incredibly moving and special. Then seeing him back in Liverpool for the first time and seeing what that meant to him, going to his you know, family home and going to the Beatles statue and all the things, that, some of the things that we haven't actually shown yet, but we're going to broadcast on Monday uh, on this special that we're doing on, on Monday the 20th. That was special. And then, of course, we took him back and did that gig in a pub. Which And that gig in a pub was, although it was a surprise gig and no one knew it was going to happen, it was an hour and a half of amazing an amazing, most moving gig that I've ever been to, really. The most intimate gig I've ever been to. And I remember as it finished, I, as Paul left, I remember calling my wife, and uh, and she was back in LA, and she said, how was it? And I was like, I, this, it's going to be one of the best things we've ever done. It was, we just, I just knew that it would be something that we'd always remember. And I didn't quite know how we were going to turn it around in time. And I said, you know, the edit's going to be a nightmare. We've only got four days that's on air, and this is a problem, and that's a problem, and we hope we get this cleared and that. But ultimately we all felt that we walked away from that shoot and we were like, something very special happened today that we think we hope will be remembered for some time. So when we were in the edit and we were cutting out so much of the stuff that we loved, because the longest carpool up to this point has been about 14 and a half minutes, whereas that one is 23 minutes, but yet there was so much stuff we weren't putting in it. You know, I called uh, with Rob, we called um, Kelly and Tom at CBS, the presidents of entertainment, and said, look, we think we've got a really special one hour here, a documentary, you know, when Corden meets McCartney and showed them a bit of stuff and they were instantly like yeah let's let's do an hour special so so we're really excited for people to see that we think it's a, a really lovely piece of television wow and, and did you get more time with him than you anticipated when you were shooting it no it was probably the amount of time that we sort of thought we would get but then just knowing that these were special moments for him i believe as well like when he we're pulling up to the house and he says uh this is the first time i've been here since i lived here then you know you're going to have something really uh, wonderful on your hands because it's his own walk down memory lane. And seeing the way the people of Liverpool react to him, coming up and telling them that their brother's named after him or his music was just played at their father's funeral, and how quickly word spread once that of the secret pub gig after it began, and uh, people were flooding the building and gathering outside. Just the legacy that he has and how much people want to be a part of it and near him was amazing to see. All right, this will be my last question. You've done so much, so i got to ask this hard one. Are you burning the candle at both ends? Because you guys kind of seem like you're working all the time. We do work hard, but we sort of feel like it's worth it because we're really proud of the show that we're making. And so if we were to work slightly less hard and make the show less ambitious and sort of make it more of a talk show, I think that we'd be letting ourselves down, really. Um, I know that sounds very grandiose, but yeah. I sort of I, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of effort goes into this show, but it's made with love and it's made with passion. 
and we feel like we have this incredible opportunity that's been given to us where we have an hour of television that we get to produce every single weeknight and that's a real privilege and so we don't want to ever take that for granted and so although it's sometimes tough and it's hard and we want to push ourselves and we want to be better and bigger and more ambitious than anyone else ultimately I sort of feel like that's where the rewards come from from hard work what do you think Rob? Yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, if we could go through the schedule we're putting James through this week, uh, and the fact that he has the energy for it, and he wants to do all these pieces and uh, be shooting something during the day that'll go in another day while we're still preparing for a show that night, that he's going to do a song and dance number in, while he's still going to interview three people gathered on the couch together, and we can't, if he's going to keep that energy up, uh, we as a team can't disappoint him by not keeping our energy up. And I think that uh, then James and I constantly talk about the fact that the only time we leave this office disappointed is when we feel like we sort of just did a talk show. Mm. Uh, we always want to be trying to do something bigger. And some nights you can't, but you always want to. We are, we are lucky. J- Rob's right in James. You know, if, and, and this week is a good example. You know, he's, you know, Monday he filmed a small sketch with Paul McCartney to launch our, the special that we're doing. Then he did an entire musical of Titanic with Ariana Grande. Then he jumped in a car and he recorded a carpool with her, which will be on Wednesday. Then he's dressing up as the Queen to do a sketch with Matt Smith as a new uh, Cops and Robbers show where he plays the Queen and Matt Smith uh, reprises his role as uh, Prince Philip. Then he's doing Robert Muller the musical on Thursday. It's yeah. a, that's a sort of typical week for him. And at the same time, he's also got to produce a monologue and a talk segment and comedy bits that are all really great and up to the level that people expect. So... Yeah, we, Rob's right. We throw a lot at him and the show, but he is always so brilliant at anything we throw him that we would be letting him down if we didn't rise to it too. This has been so great. Thank you so much for talking to us. It was awesome. Thank you for uh, having thank us. Thank you very much for having we us. appreciate it. All right, bye-bye now. Well, folks, that is a wrap on Season 2 of Chasing Emmy. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to be back right after the Emmy Awards to see how we did and whether our predictions were right or wrong or completely, completely off the mark. You can tweet us at Lynette Rice, at Henry Goldblatt, or at Kristen G. Baldwin. We welcome your feedback. And special thanks to our producers, Christina and Patrick. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Prime original series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, from executive producers Amy Sherman-Palladino and Daniel Palladino. It stars Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, and Tony Shalhoub, now nominated for 14 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series. Consider it marvelous in all categories. 